chapter 16, verse 1. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. And uh, just to give you a little... Um, I just uh, started working... On, actually, I've been kind of researching the book of Jonah already. I remember I finished off uh, studying Romans, 6, uh, Romans uh, the book of Romans yesterday, and uh, now I'm actually uh, engaged fully into uh, studying the book of Jonah. And uh, we... Uh, so I've started doing that. I've been researching it anyways in preparation, you know. I've been doing, gathering information on it, different commentaries on it. So i am already started work on that. And um, Romans, the book of Romans, we'll finish it on Sunday, August 29th, unless something changes. Uh, but that's how I, I'm scheduling it as. And the first, uh, the first lesson on Jonah will be, looks like, Tuesday, August 31st. So we're going to be finishing off the book of Romans. It'll be quite an accomplishment. We started it in May 1st, 2007. May 1st, 2007. You can do the math. I didn't major in math in high school <laughs> or college. <laughs> Anyways, I need a calculator. And uh, so that's, uh, that's a lot. That's three years, right? 2007, 8, 9, 10. No, that's four years, right? Right? Four years? May 2010 would make it four years, right? 
you're all looking at me blank stare. 2007, May 2007, 2008, 9, 10, three years, right? Three years. See, I told you they didn't major in math. Tyler, Tyler, help me out here. You're sitting there. I got these computer geniuses in front of me and everything, and they're, I don't know. Anyways, so anyways, should we have Romans chapter 16, verse 1. And uh, remember, we have uh, Sunday service here. And again, thank you for the Thompsons open up their home. And, uh, and people say, well, that's unusual meeting in a home. No, well, the early first century church met, met primarily in homes and schoolrooms. If you read the book of Acts and also Romans 16, uh, we've uh, noted there's a couple of house churches. We'll see that on Sunday, a couple of churches that met in homes. So uh, this uh, we'll see that on Sunday with our, our study of Romans 16, verses 3, I think it's up to verse 6, the 15 on Sunday. We have a lot of ground we'll cover Sunday because he basically is mentioning a lot of names. But anyways, uh, let's get it uh, underway as we normally do. For those of you who follow along with uh, my teaching, we do an expository type teaching. For those of you who might be unfamiliar, that we go into our website. That means I go verse by verse. I go back to the original languages, the Hebrew and the Greek, and uh, we go back and uh, we study the Bible in its historical setting, and we compare scripture with scripture. And uh, we also pay attention, of course, to context and our interpretation. That's key. And uh, we do it uh, verse by verse. So that's uh, we're, we're making our way to the end of the, the book of Romans in our verse by verse study. And uh, we have, it looks like right now, this will be our 544th hour in the book of Romans. Uh, some people say, well, that's crazy. Well, I know, I know of, uh, in history, I think it was D, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He did uh, ten, over 10 years in the book of Romans. I think, I think he died before he could finish the 16th chapter, I think. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of guys have spent a lot of time in the Book of Romans. It's a good book, great book. I'm glad I did it. And uh, been through a, long, a lot of things as we've, uh, to do this book. Pretty amazing what's gone on. But uh, we Romans 16.1. Let's take a moment of silent prayer. And as we normally do, we take a moment of silent prayer to confess our sins if necessary. Apply 1 John 1.9. And uh, that restores us to fellowship, and then we have to bring our thoughts into obedience to the Spirit who speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God. And uh, that means we're filled, that's when we're obeying the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, commanded of us in Ephesians 5.18. If there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, uh, there's something on the top of my head that makes me look funny, you know, it's, something's disturbing or distracting to you, you're just going to look at me with that. I was waiting for a smile out of you. If there's anything that's disturbing or distracting to you, do what First Peter 5.7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, another beautiful day here in Iowa to study your word. We thank you, Father, for all the logistical grace blessings that you've given us, and uh, the food, shelter, and clothing. Uh, we just thank you, Father, for the friendship, members of the body of Christ that we can have fellowship with, and of course, your word, Father, and the Spirit, who, uh, the Spirit who, through the teaching of the word of God, reveals your will to, for our lives. 
and uh, teaches us about your character and nature and, and who and what your son is as the God man and the spirit and what you've done for us through them in the past are doing for us now and will do for us in the future. We thank you for the fact that you've given us victory through our, our union and identification with your son. Thank you for the victory that you've given us over sin, Satan, and his cosmic system. We just thank you, Father, for, uh, that the Spirit would uh, reveal these things to us and he would continue to show to us in the pages of Scripture the great power and love that has been directed to us because of our union and identification with your Son, Jesus Christ. And help us to grow in love toward you and each other. And we lift up other ministries uh, throughout this country and the world. We lift up uh, Pastor uh, McLaughlin's ministry at Grace Bible Church. We pray for their spiritual and temporal needs as well as Jim Ricard in, uh, in, in Massachusetts as well, uh, Joe Griffin in St. Louis, Robbie uh, Dean down in Texas, and Bob Dean down in Texas as well. And uh, we uh, lift up Prairie View Christian Church. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ at Prairie View Christian Church. And we just pray, Father, that you would grace them out and bless them. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to uh, add to our number here and uh, in this uh, little home church that we have that you would uh, break down the barriers Satan has put up that is hindering people from being exposed to the teaching of the Word of God, not only in this area, but around this country and the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted, that have a lot tougher than us in other parts of the world than we have here in America. We pray that you would deliver them in and out of adversity. And we just thank you and praise you, Father, for giving us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, thank you for the individuals who've made their way into uh, here this uh, service here this evening. We thank you, Father, for them. And we just pray, Father, for those in the audience and those are not only in, the, in this home, but also uh, that are listening on uh, Pal Talk and visiting this class or listening to it or viewing it at a later date on the website, that they would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment here this evening, that they would have objectivity and humility and we'd pay strict attention to what the Spirit will be saying to us through the teaching of the Word of God. And we just pray, thank you, Father, for the, the uh, Thompsons opening up their home to us and bless them, Father. And we also pray that you would help the communicator to deliver your full counsel to your people this evening in a fashion that would ple be pleasing to you and minister to your people that are in here in the uh, in, in a, the Thompson household and listening on Pal Talk on the website. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, we pray for these things. Amen. You should be at Romans chapter 16, verse 1. And uh, last evening, as we before we always uh, do a, um, a study of a chapter and go into detail, verse by verse study of a chapter, uh, we always do a, uh, an overview. And that's what we did last night. An overview gives us a general outline of the chapter, give us a good feel for what's in the chapter, and then we go at it verse by verse. Now, this evening, we're going to study verses 1 and 2. And you're going to find that we're going to make our way quickly through this chapter. Uh, because there's not a lot of doctrine in there. There's a couple of uh, warnings uh, about uh, false teachers and a great doxology at the end. But primarily, it's, uh, there's a lot of names that Paul mentions. And, and it is interesting and important stuff that we can derive, of course, from this study of this chapter, though he's basically sending his greetings to certain people that he knew in Rome. And uh, we brought some of this out last evening. So this evening, we're going to study Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. And in these two verses, Paul introduces a woman named Phoebe. And she, he introduces her to the Roman believers, and he commands them to welcome her and put themselves at her disposal. She is the one who is going to actually deliver this epistle. Just think about that, what she had in her possession. She's going to deliver this 
took from Corinth, she was going to go up to Rome and with this epistle, this epistle which has changed the world. People don't really understand the, the impact that the book of Romans has made throughout history, throughout church history. Uh, there's been so, I mentioned this in our introduction. Men like Calvin and Luther, uh, they were brought, uh, the book of Romans was key to them. Uh, it brought about the Reformation, the book of Romans, where they rediscovered that it's faith alone and Christ alone, uh, and not by keeping the law or the, the works of the law to get saved. Simple faith alone and Christ alone. And for centuries, the Dark Ages were, were Dark Ages because uh, we had uh, ecclesiasticism, we had uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the popes were basically had uh, suppressed that. And so Luther and Calvin, who were persecuted, and guys like them, uh, they were persecuted, but they brought out this whole uh, concept that's taught in the Bible, of you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the, uh, the the Romans, the Book of Romans, taught that. It's the clearest delineation of how to get saved, how to receive the righteousness of God. So we see that this book has actually changed the course of many lives. Augustine was greatly affected by the Book of Romans, in a particular passage, and uh, I believe it was in Romans uh, chapter 13, the end of that chapter, a chapter there where he was definitely affected. He heard a child reading it. And he was uh, he became to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Augustine was involved in and in, in gross immorality. He was a very immoral person, and he ended up getting saved because of the Book of Romans. So the Book of Romans has done a tremendous uh, service to the church. And this is this Phoebe had this this particular woman. We don't know a heck of a lot about her, but what she what Paul says in verses one and two about her. And she was that she was a servant to the church there at Sancria, which is seven miles. Uh, just uh, seven miles uh, east of uh, of Corinth, and uh, so this woman has got this epistle. He and he tells her, uh, tells the Roman believers, Paul does in this epistle that he wants the Roman believers to welcome this woman and to put themselves at her disposal, serve her because she's been a servant to the church. And also, it's interesting that we're going to bring out here this evening is that this passage when it talks about uh, when the word servant there at the church of uh, in, in, at Sancria that she was a servant there. That word there is often translated, I think the King James might translate it deacon. And the, this passage has caused a lot of uh, consternation in the church and confusion in the church. And uh, so we're going to talk about the fact that she is not a deacon in the sense that we think of deacons today. She was emphatically not a deacon. And I'm going to show you passages where she couldn't qualify to be hold the office of deacon. And so uh, we're going to uh, t discuss that. Uh, in de uh, briefly here this evening, and also we'll we'll touch on some other things. So look at Romans sixteen one. Paul says in Romans sixteen one, he says, "I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who was a servant of the church which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. Why? For she herself." Phoebe has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Now, when he says "I commend," that's the verb "sinistami," uh, and that means introduce. He says, "I'm introducing." So, when Phoebe gave this letter, and they were going to read this letter to the local, the church there, and they were the church's men in homes. So, this church, this epistle was uh, passed along to the different house churches and read by the pastors in each of those homes. And they would make copies of these epistles and they would have it circulated. Paul actually talks about this in, I think, Colossians, about circulating his epistles and having them read in the different homes. 
And so he's saying here, when he says, I commend, he's saying, I'm introducing to you Phoebe. So they'd all look at Phoebe who delivered the letter, and they'd say, oh, that's who, her name, Phoebe, unless she had already told them her name. So he's saying, I introduce, when he says, I commend, he's saying, I'm introducing you. The word there in the Greek for I commend is sinistomy, which means introduced in the sense of making known by a formal announcement or recommendation and indicating that Paul is introducing Phoebe, who delivered this epistle, by announcement and recommendation to the Roman believers. Now, it denotes Paul's approval of this woman. Paul would never put this epistle, very important letter, to the church in Rome. Very important because he wanted to introduce himself, tell him about the, his gospel, what he taught. It's the clearest delineation of the gospel in all of the, of all of the New Testament and the Bible. And he wanted to solicit their help because he wanted to get, evangelize Spain, which was west of them, the, the furthermost uh, west extremities of the Roman Empire. So we see that he wanted, she was very, a very important person here. And he wanted, he's actually putting his approval on this particular woman. And, uh, and as I mentioned last evening, uh, Paul, through uh, liberal scholars, have actually criticized Paul because of some of his teaching about women not holding and not being permitted to have authority in the church. That many people have criticized Paul, and even so much to the extreme of calling him a homosexual because they think he had things against women, which is an absolute ridiculous and character assassination. It's ridiculous. There's no proof of that. But they actually think that Paul has something against women. They, he actually, many Christian scholars, liberal Christian scholars, and I can, you know, there are names out there. I mean, it's very, it's common in scholarly circles. They criticize Paul as his teaching as demeaning women. So anytime you have, as a pastor, you have uh, somebody criticizing your teaching and saying that your teaching demeans women, you're in good company. You're in very good company because that's what they've been criticizing Paul for centuries. And so we see that when he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, he's actually saying, "This is my, I'm approving of this woman. And uh, he's actually, uh, he want, he's introducing her to these Roman believers and he wants them to be friends. He's joining them together. He's bringing, to, bringing them together as friends. Now when he says, our sister Phoebe, that describes Phoebe as a close female believer or sister in Christ or a female member of the body of Christ and it denotes the common spiritual relationship that she has not only with Paul and his companions with him in Corinth when he, where he wrote this letter but also the common relationship spiritual relationship that she has with the Roman believers he doesn't say my sister Phoebe he says our sister, sister Phoebe you know what he's trying to do? build bridges he he wants them uh, just uh, he wants them just like he said all the churches last night we saw all the churches greet you well that that would uh, be, create a unity among them a bridge between them and right here he wants to build a bridge between Phoebe and the Roman believers in Paul they all have a certain common relationship they're all related to Jesus Christ through spiritual birth that's why I say it's insanity for Christians to mistreat each other because you're all in the same family. We're all in the same family. No matter what they've done to you, it still doesn't justify them treating them poorly. And we're all, I'm obligated, you're obligated, every Christian is obligated, whether they're born again Catholics, born again Pentecostals, whatever they are, if they believe in Jesus Christ, born again Catholics, you're on the same team. You're in the same family, and love, God's love, governs the family. 
the royal family honor code, which we studied in Romans chapter 12. So Paul saying, our sister, she's related to you too. She's related by spiritual birth. Remember Galatians? You're all, through faith in Christ, you're all equal, you're all in the body of Christ. Well, this is what he's saying to them. Our sister Phoebe, not my sister, but yours too. Even though you don't know her intimately, she's still in the family. She's in the family. She's related to you by spiritual birth. So what's the application? We're all related to other churches by spiritual birth. Born again saved, whether you like them or not, it's not the issue. They are still your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are still family. Royal family. And get used to it because they're going to be your royal family forever and ever and ever. So this is what we have here. He says, I was Sister Phoebe. He's saying, not only did I have a close relationship, spiritual relationship with her, but she has one with you. You don't know her intimately like I do, but you know that she has a spiritual relationship that is common with your spiritual relationship. She got saved through faith alone and Christ alone. She's filled with it. She has the Holy Spirit indwelling her and the Father and the Son. She, she's also in union with Christ. She's identified with Christ and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session like you all are and like I am. Now, when he says, who is a servant, he describes her again. Notice he's, he's giving her descriptions of her. He says, I commend you, or I introduce to you, our sister Phoebe. So, our sister Phoebe, again, we're related, you're related to her by spiritual birth. Then he describes her again. Who is a servant of the church, which is at Sencrea. Who is a servant? That's a, one of the great things that God, the Holy Spirit, could call you. Because this is who's inspiring this letter, the Holy Spirit. A servant. Jesus Christ is a servant. He came to serve us. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life for his ransom for many. Mark 10.45. And that, in John 13, he taught his apostle, the apostles in the foot washing ceremony. Humility. Serving. A humble person serves. Now, not spectators watching everybody else serve. They're serving themselves. They're engaged in the ministry. You want a ministry to go grow? A ministry grows because the Word of God's being taught and people are engaged and applying themselves in the work of service. Serving the gospel, serving each other. That's how. If people are engaged in the ministry and not just spectators, the ministry will grow. But it won't grow if you're sitting there with your hands on your, on your sitting on your hands and not interacting or getting involved in what's going on in the church and getting the gospel out. So when he says who is a servant, that describes Phoebe as one who serves both Paul and the Roman believers as an intermediary between the two, in the sense that she's the courier of this epistle. So how is she serving the Romans? How is she serving Paul? She's delivering this. Epistle. Now, this phrase, it does not denote the office of deacon, as I said before. I think some translations have the word servant there as deacon. I think maybe the King James, I don't have the King James in front of me. But the word there is often, in the Greek, is often translated deacon. However, it doesn't, in this passage, it doesn't denote the office of deacon. And I'm going to show you in several passages of Scripture that that is the case. It does, she doesn't mean that she held an office in Corinth of being a deacon and we're going to show you why no woman can hold the office of deacon she can serve the church obviously and many women in Romans 16 we've seen and in Philippians uh, 4 Yodi and Syntyche they were servants but they did not have a position of authority in the churches Paul would not permit it 
and, t- and the Lord, and that that was an apostolic teaching. So this, when it says who is a servant, that doesn't denote that she held the office of deacon, because Paul teaches in First Timothy two eleven through fifteen and First Timothy three twelve, he teaches in those passages he prohibits women from holding positions of authority in the church. Uh, hold your uh, hold your place, and let's take a little uh, run over to First Corinth, uh, First Timothy. Look at First Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Now this is where we, we interpret the Bible. So Pastor Bill, how do we know that she's not a deacon here? Well, let me show you some passages. You've got to go to other passages of Scripture to get the answer. Because why? Because Paul's not writing Romans 16 to prove that she's uh, that uh, women can't have be deacons. That's not what he's writing about. That's not his purpose for writing. So he's not trying to talk about the subject of deacons. But Paul talks about deacons in another sub part of his writings. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This talks about uh, pastors and deacons and the qualifications. Now remember, a deacon, the office of deacon, it's not a spiritual gift. We studied this. It's not, they actually came into existence uh, in, in Acts chapter 6. Pastor, pastor, teacher, that's a gift. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 teaches that. So that's a gift. And we also see that uh, that the uh, quality, when you got born again and saved, like for instance, when I got born again and saved, that moment, got, whether I realized it or not, and I didn't, I was given the gift, a spiritual gift of pastor, teacher. And as I studied my Bible, I became more and more aware of the fact that I actually had the gift. Somebody actually said, you have the gift. I didn't even know I was... I wasn't even thinking about it or trying to pursue or, or uh, aspire to the gift at all. I was just doing whatever I was doing. And we see that once you have the gift, that doesn't mean you're qualified to be a pastor. There are certain qualifications that you must have. And let me tell you something, perfection is not one of them. <laughs> so if you're looking for the perfect pastor, you're dreaming and you're arrogant because there's no perfect pastor. However, he must have, before he's given the, the, the task of his own ministry... The Holy Spirit will not give him a ministry, and the Lord Jesus Christ will not give him a ministry until he he shows some certain characteristics in another ministry. So if you are not faithful to another man's ministry, then you're not going to be uh, qualified to serve as your, with your own ministry. Because if you can't submit to the authority of another, God will not give you authority and a position in another church. So after I spent ten over 10 years at GBC, the Grace Bible Church, God, the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit saw fit to send me to Iowa. They're the ones who sent me to Iowa. So uh, so that's, that was their decision, not my decision. I wasn't thinking of going to Iowa. So he talks about characteristics or qualifications for pastors and uh, deacons. And he calls the pastors here overseers. It looked, 1 Timothy 3.1, and as we do, he gives us the qualifications for being a deacon, which would disqualify Phoebe. It says in 1 Timothy 3.1, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, and notice it doesn't say any woman. It says any man. Sorry, ladies. It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, I'm sure I'm going to have hate mail from that, an overseer then must be above reproach. That doesn't mean sinless. It doesn't mean that at all. It says the husband of one wife, if he's single, like Paul was, he still can be a pastor. But he can't be a polygamist, okay? He must be temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not addicted to wine, that means he can't be a drunkard. 
or pugnacious, but gentle, he must be gentle, peaceable, and free from the love of money. He must not love money. And then he says, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He won't be able to. So if he can't handle, let me give you an application. If he can't handle his wife, and if his wife is out of control and she's a busybody, he ain't qualified to be a pastor, and he ain't qualified yet to be a deacon if he's, a, if he's looking to be a deacon. You got it. The women, and let me tell you something, uh, women in, uh, in their own in their relationship with God must be submissive to their husbands in all things. That's what the Bible teaches in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Then he says in verse 6, he must not be a no, new convert. Why? So that he will not become conceited, arrogant. He doesn't have the capacity to hold such a position of authority and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will... Now, now the other people might defame his character and spread gossip about him, but he's talking about he must not be the, responsible for his bad reputation. He said he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now he comes to the deacons. Deacons... Like, notice that he talks to the pa about the pastors first before he gets to the deacons. Why? Because the pastors are above deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Not double-tongued. They say one thing and then they do another. Uh, talking out of both sides of your mouth is what my father called it. Or addicted to much wine. They can't be alcoholics either. Or fond of sordid gain. They can't be love of, uh, lovers of money either but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they must know the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you don't belong being a deacon. But you have no business being a deacon. You've got to know the Bible. So a lot of churches, they choose deacons, and they probably shouldn't. They should wait until the person has capacity to be a deacon and knows their Bible. Simple as that. Then he says, it says in verse 8, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested under fire. Not only in their personal lives, but in the lives of the life of the church. So when you go through adversity in the church, let's see how loyal they are. And how do they stick to the word of God? Or do they go to their sin nature? And what do they do? How do they handle adversity? You can tell a lot about a guy and a woman, a Christian, as to how they handle adversity. When they're under pressure, that's when you... Because when you're in a position of authority, let's face it, you're going to get hit by the devil. You're going to be under pressure. So if you don't have the capacity to handle pressure, you don't have any business being in authority. So look at verse 10. These men also first must be tested and then let them serve as deacons. So don't let them serve as deacons until they've first been tested. If they are beyond reproach, they're to do this. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, going spreading truths or lies about people. You're going to get disciplined big time if you do that. The women are not... Women, notice that he doesn't say the men... Because women have a tendency, a weakness here, to do that. That's why he's saying not about the men to not be malicious gossips, but the women. You know, get on the phone to Susie Q. Did you hear about Billy Bob and, and Peggy Sue? That's gossip. It's gossip. You get away from that. Otherwise, you're going to get disciplined. But temperate, they're supposed to be temperate. 
faithful in all things. And look what he says in verse 12. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife. Now, how could Phoebe qualify to be a deacon? Can she be a husband of one wife? Not without violating the word of God, right? And getting involved in lesbianism. No, deacons must be husbands of only one wife. doesn't mention women at all. And good managers of their children and their own Households For those who have served well as deacons must obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So when he says a husband of only one wife, that refers to the fact that a deacon, if he's married, must be the husband of one wife and that disqualifies women from holding the office of deacon. Now go over to 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 9. So why are we here? Because Romans 16, we talked about Shephibi is a, is a servant at the church of Sancria. And the word servant there is a word that's used for the uh, in the scriptures for the office of deacon. And I'm trying to show you that Phoebe wasn't a deacon. A lot, of, a lot of translations make it like she's a deacon, but she's not. And I'm showing you these passages to prove that she wasn't a deacon. She's just simply somebody who served the church, which is great. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Likewise, I want women to... 1 Timothy 2, 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. He's not saying you can't look good, ladies, or dress up. He's saying that shouldn't be your emphasis emphasis in your life. Good works. Works done according to the Spirit and the Word. That's what's important to God. You can look pretty, but ugly on the inside. God wants a Christian woman should look good on the outside and look good on the inside to God. God's more concerned about what's going on in your heart. And if you got a sick heart, that's bad. So get concentrate on your spiritual walk with God rather than the outward, he's saying. Then he says in verse 11, A woman, and I love this, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Why? Because the woman, in her sin nature, has that tendency to go against the authority of her husband. And she has a tendency, that's why Paul has to say this to the women, because the ladies can get out of hand. And the ladies can break up and can destroy a church real quick if they get out of hand. That's why he's saying this. He's telling this pastor, Timothy, how to run a church. Okay? This is what he's saying. Look at verse 12. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet. That means that she can't, that doesn't mean she can't talk in, in the church. It means that she can't teach over a man. She can't exercise authority over a man. That means she's disqualified, that because of that statement, she's disqualified from being a pastor and she's disqualified from being a deacon because those positions have authority in the church. So he says, and gives the reason why, ladies. There's a reason. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. So if you got a problem with that, what Paul said, take it up with God and Jesus Christ who created the man and the woman. He created the man first, and then he created the lady because she was to be his helper. Okay? And I would marry, if I got, I'm a guy, and you don't, and you're, and you're looking at a girl to marry her, make sure she understands this because if you, she doesn't, she's going to give you a hard time. So the sooner she gets that in her head, don't marry her until she's got that in her head, that she understands that. 
because she'll drive you crazy. She will drive you crazy. Look at verse 13 again. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived. Who was deceived? But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. That's why throughout church history, throughout history, this is the truth that you cannot, the, the Bible prohibits women from holding authority as a pastor or as a deacon. It's universal. Christ was created, Adam was created first, then Eve. That's true of all time. Okay, so he's given reasons that are universal. So you can't say, well, that was just the time it was written and Paul said that in that time. No, the reasons he gives tells us that this is what Paul wants forever in the church. Then it says in, in verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and she fell into transgression. So right there, those two passages teach us that Phoebe in Romans 16, 1 and 2 could not possibly have been, held the office of deacon in Corinth she was far from it. She was simply a servant, which is a great title as it is, a great description, but she certainly didn't hold authority uh, in, in the church in Corinth at, uh, over men because the, the Apostle Paul prohibited it. Now go back to Romans 16.1, please. Romans 16.1. And for all those ladies who wanted to send me their hate mail, uh, you can call, send me to at uh, Titus Thompson. <laughs> send all my hate mail to Titus Thompson. <laughs> You run with me, brother, you're going to have trouble. <laughs> so Bob McLaughlin used to say, Go run with me, you're going to have trouble. Anybody teaches the word of God, look out. Look at Romans 16.1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sancria. Which is at Sancria. That's identifying for the reader here where uh, Phoebe served and uh, what your geographical location. Uh, where is Sancria? Sancria was a seaport town. It was seven miles east of Corinth. And uh, so this is where it was. It was actually used for trade with Asia. It was a big, Corinth was a big city. It was like New York, uh, seaport town. And, and Sancria was where this particular woman, Phoebe, had served the church there. And there's some pictures. If you have the notes in front of you, there's a map there. Uh, for those who got the map, and uh, they have it on uh, Pal Talk, and uh, hopefully you have the notes. I don't know if you guys have the notes in front of you. But if you, uh, if those who are looking at the notes on the map, uh, you see Corinth right in the middle of the map, and right below it is Sancria. It was a, it was again seven miles uh, east of Corinth, and then there's the following page on the notes. There's a picture of uh, the ruins of Sancria. You can go there today. And one day I'd like to go. Uh, I know Chuck Swindoll does it, and some other guys do it. I'd love to take a tour of the uh, uh, the, the Greek islands there, all the the, the, the Aegean Sea area. And uh, go to Thessalonica and Philippi and see all the ruins there and see all the history there and the street, the places that Apostle Paul evangelized and, and started ministries there and the Holy Land. Uh, one day I'd like to do that. Keep that in prayer. That would be pretty cool. Now look at Romans 16, 1 again. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant, he says, of the church which is at Sancria, so now we know what that is, that you receive her. Verse 2 is not going to give us the content of what, what, why he wants... Uh, the purpose for introducing Phoebe to the Romans. He says in verse 2, that you receive her in the Lord and a man worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So again, verse 2 is giving a twofold purpose for Paul introducing this woman Phoebe to the Roman believers. Now when he says, you receive her in the Lord, he says, 
uh, that you receive in the Lord, that teaches that the Roman believers were to welcome Phoebe into their fellowship as an honored guest and go beyond the normally expected gracious hospitality because this is what the Lord requires of his people and has taught his people by the Spirit. So he's saying, I want, when he says, receiver in the Lord, that means not put her up in a Motel 8 or the Holiday Inn. It means you open up your home to her and treat her as if she's the President of the United States, he's saying, or the, or the, the Emperor himself of Rome. Treat her as an honored guest. That's what he wants them to do. Don't treat, don't treat her like she's a, she's a nobody. She's a somebody to me, and she served me. She's serving Jesus Christ. See, as you've done it under the least of my brethren, you've done it under me. Any way you treat another Christian is the way you treat Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. Every, the way you treat another Christian is the way you treat Jesus Christ. He's the head, we're the body. Paul learned this when he got con converted to Christianity, when he got saved. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me, Paul? He was persecuting Christians. Jesus considered that as doing it to him. Jesus will say uh, at the, uh, at the, at the uh, second advent when he judges Israel and the Gentiles, and then he'll say, the Gentiles will say, well, Lord, when did we give you a cup of water? And, and Jesus said, when you gave a cup of water, when you did it to this, at least to my brethren, the Jews, you've done it unto me. So this is what we see here. He's saying, I want you to treat her, receive her in the Lord, means treat her as if she was the Lord. Treat her with great hospitality, open your homes to her, feed her, clothe her, do everything, anything she needs, put her at your disposal. In fact, when he says, in a manner worthy of the saints, you're to do this, that denotes that the Romans were to welcome Phoebe in a manner that was the proper way among Christians of welcoming a fellow believer which is in accordance with the Lord's teaching to love one another. So, that's why uh, that's why you should always, always treat other Christians with honor. Especially traveling people, whether they're people who are traveling in uh, uh, from uh, different parts of this country. They might be a visiting evangelist or a pastor. You treat them, or a seminary professor or president. You treat them, open up your homes, be gracious to them. They're anybody, especially when they're teachers of the Word of God, or in, like Phoebe, who was actually helping propagate the gospel, who was serving the communicators of the Word of God, like Paul, and serving him. You should treat them with absolute respect, gracious hospitality. Why? Because that's what the Lord taught. Uh, we have, so I mentioned this before, that uh, individuals like Abraham and Lot, Abraham opened up his home to the Lord. He had cooked them lunch, the angels and the Lord, the two angels, elect angels of the Lord, and we studied that in Genesis. Hospitality. That's what they did. In fact, in the ancient world, in those days, they would, when you came into a city... I mean, the places to stay were not, you know, were places of ill repute, and they were not nice places to stay where robbers and bands and thieves were around. So they, the people who were visiting a city had to rely on the citizens opening up their homes. In fact, uh, people who were not Christians practiced hospitality. You know, a lot of Christians today won't open up their homes. They claim the doctrine of privacy, you know? And that's because, I mean, why? why well, that's not Christian love. That's not Christian love. That's not Christian love at all. You're not you're not manifesting Christ. You're you're afraid you're you're afraid to open up your home. Why? Because they might steal something from you. Well, yeah, they might steal something from you. They might steal. Who knows? What are you gonna do? You still open up your home. 
Hey, does it? Did, did, I mean, Jesus knew that Joseph. Uh, he, Jesus knew that Judas uh, was uh, was uh, taking money from the uh, from the offer uh, from the, uh, the the finances of his ministry. He was embezzling money. Jesus knew that. You think Jesus was worried about that? No. What we see is that we're to open up our homes and not the, the, the privacy is being you. That doctrine is being abused and as an excuse not to open up your homes and you open up your lives to people. Hey, when you serve somebody, you got to learn this, and, you, and you're going to have to learn this. You, you, either the easy way or the hard way, well, you know, one way or the other. You got to learn this because otherwise you're not going to glorify God. The people you serve many times, or you open up your homes to, or whatever. They could end up hurting you at some point down the road. It happens. Everybody's got a sin nature. The devil's running around, running around out here, and uh, he's not imprisoned yet. So that did Jesus? Did Jesus the people he served and healed? The, the very same people were saying called were abandoning him. Peter denied he never knew the Lord. Ever knew the Lord? The apostles all left him except for John. And look at all the things he did for them. Look at the people he healed. That those same people he healed and helped, they forgot, forgot about him, right? They abandoned him. Did that stop from Jesus still serving? No, that didn't stop Jesus from serving. Hey, God the Father, people who are unsaved, they cuss his name out. They, they dishonor his son. They use his name, his son's name as a byword, a swear word. And yet, does the Father still let the son and the rain fall on both the righteous and the good? See, just because somebody might... Uh, uh, take your good works and you're, do, you're doing good to them and not appreciate it, that just shouldn't stop you from doing it. A lot of Christians have skin pastors are scarred because, oh, they did so many things for people and then they got thrown out in the street or they got, uh, they got disowned or abandoned by this people that they serve. That shouldn't stop you from serving the body of Christ. It just, that happened, it's a blip in the road, you got to keep going because God still does good even though he's being mistreated. God wants us to act like He does. So you shouldn't let that discourage you to keep serving the body of Christ or open your life to somebody or make yourself vulnerable. That's the word I'm looking for. Don't stop making yourself vulnerable because you've been burned. You're going to get burned. That's part of being a Christian servant. you got to get over it. You're going to get burned. You're going to get hurt. Because those who are in the fight are going to get hurt and they're going to get scarred and they're going to get bloody. The people who aren't in the fight don't have any scars on them. They don't have any blood on them. They haven't been hurt. But when you are when you make yourself vulnerable, like God does and like Jesus does, you know, like Phoebe did, like Paul did, Timothy, when you let yourself open yourself up to people, there is a chance, and probably more likely than not, you're going to get hurt. But that shouldn't stop you from continuing to show love and hospitality to people, Christian love. Now look at Romans 16.1. Romans 16.1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at St. Crea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. And then he says, and that you help her, I love this, and that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. For she herself also has been a helper of many and of myself as well. When he says, you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you, that teaches that the Roman believers were to place themselves at the disposal of Phoebe in order to provide for her anything at all that she might have need from them. So they were to be hospitable to her. They were to be hospitable to her. They were to, what do you need, Phoebe? Do you need something? you need this? you need that? you need the other thing? That's what he's talking about. 
All the Romans are going to do whatever she needs, give it to her. That's Christian hospitality. Being a servant to the other person. Uh, hold your place. Go to Romans chapter 12. We were here last evening in chapter 12. Look at Romans chapter 12. And look at verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Again, hypocrisy means you're putting on a mask. The Greeks used to have plays. They have The actors used to have masks. They would hold up to their face with a stick. They would hold the mask up. And that would call a hypocrite. Now, he's saying don't be a hypocrite means don't say, for instance, I, uh, oh, here's a good one. Last night, they, see they brawl there. The uh, the Cardinals and the uh, and the Reds they had a brawl. And the second, the guy who came up to up to the plate, I'll give you a perfect example of hypocrisy. The guy who came up to hit, he uh, had said something in the papers about the St. Louis Cardinals. He didn't like them. Blah blah blah. He was shooting his mouth off about them. And then when he goes to dig in at the plate, he taps he he taps the uh, the the shin guard of the catcher for the Cardinals. And the catcher for the Cardinals go, and he was like acting like the guy who did it was actually saying, you know, oh, like acting like he was a friend of this guy. And the guy, the catcher says, don't act like you're a friend of mine while you're bad mouthing me behind my our, our team in the papers, and then you want to act like you're my buddy now. And then the brawls took off. See, he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. If you don't like me, tell me in my face. But if you don't say that you love me and then stab me in the back, then watch out for Christians. I can have be like that. They have sin natures too, and unbelievers do it all the time too. So you be careful. You gotta have discernment. Don't and if they say don't be, don't say you love another Christian and then stab them in the back. She says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. To stab them in the back and hypocrisy is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. A brotherly love talks about affection for each other. Give preference to one another in honor. So when he says to the Romans. Uh, Paul does in Romans 16 that you help Phoebe and give her and be a, a, and help her and, uh, and whatever she may have need of you do help her do whatever she wants that's what he's saying he's saying give preference to one another in honor he's saying honor Phoebe then he goes say not let then he goes on to say in verse 11 not lagging behind a diligence fervent in the spirit serving the Lord just like Phoebe rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation devoted to prayer and look what he says contributing to the needs of the saints. When a saint is in need, that's any, that's not the guy with a halo around head. Anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, any man or woman, child, male or female, a Jew or Gentile, if they believe in Jesus Christ, they're a saint. And who the ones who haven't believed in Jesus Christ are ain'ts. Okay? And so contributing to the needs of the saints. Needs means something that's essential for them to live. And I thank God for the people who contributed to the needs of this saint. Then he says, practicing hospitality. That's what he wants the Romans to do with Phoebe. Practice hospitality. That's what he's talking about in verse 2. Now, the first century apostolic church, apostolic means that the, the apostles governed the church in the absence of Jesus Christ in the first century. They're, they're no longer around. John died in 96 AD around that area. So the first century apostolic church practiced Providing for the needs of its own. You know, they didn't let somebody suffer. They did something about it. There's something sick about a Christian when they can't help somebody in need. 
It's not the love of God's not in them. Let me show you what they did. And, and, and this was common in the church. This is what they did. What Paul's telling the Romans to do with Phoebe was something that they did, they practiced commonly in the church. Now look at Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 2. And look at Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Paul, uh, Peter just gave, this is the day of Pentecost, and this is the gift of the Spirit uh, going uh, to happen on this day. We see that Peter is evangelizing. Uh, the, uh, this is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, the day of Pentecost. All the Jews from around the Roman Empire are there, speaking different languages, coming to the Feast of Pentecost to worship the Lord in the temple, the Herodian temple that was standing at that time. And then he gave them a message, okay? He talked about, he gave them the gospel. He told them that Jesus Christ is dead, who they crucified is raised from the dead. And we're witnesses to it. Now look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, the Jews, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. That means change your mind about Jesus and believe in him. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by doing so. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So that those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. God adds to the number of the church. The Holy Spirit does. You don't need any dog and pony show or any Madison Avenue techniques to grow a church. God does it. Look at verse 42. Because this is where we get into the hospitality of the early first century church. Acts 2.42 And they were continually devoting themselves what? To um, children's plays? Or, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Basketball games, you know, rec basketball games. No, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is now what we're reading, studying. And to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, Lord's Supper, and to prayer, corporate prayer. They prayed together. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They shared. And they began selling their property and possessions, and we're sharing them with all as anyone might have need. This is not communism. It's when somebody had a need, they would sell a piece of property, like Barnabas did. So when they had a piece, of, so they saw somebody was in need, like they saw a family that was homeless or poor, or they saw somebody was in need, a pastor who was in need, somebody, any old Christian was in need. What they did, and they had the, they had the property, they would sell the property to help, to help this person. Or help this family. Or help this couple. Or they might be persecuted for their faith in Christ. And lost everything. That's what, he saw, that's what they're saying. It's not communism. So he says in, in verse... Uh, notice that's hospitality. And day by day, verse 46. They're continuing in one mind in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They liked to hang out with each other. There were no cliques. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number 
day by day those who are being saved. Now go back to Romans chapter 16, verse 1, please. So we see that there was great poverty in the first century church and because of persecutions. When you were, for instance, the early Christians, the very early Christians in its infancy, were Jewish. And so if you believed in Jesus Christ, this was even in the end of the Gospels there, that if you believed in Christ, you kicked out of the synagogue. Now for a Jew, that's the kiss of death. You lost all your business contacts. Nobody wanted to do business with you. Nobody would marry your kids. Nobody would marry you because you were anathema. They, they cut you off. They didn't have anything to do with you. You were... I don't know what they call it. You were a bad dude. You you were uh, you were like the you had leprosy. That's what they treated you. So that that's the case. You got poor real quick. You were in deep trouble. So therefore, it was critical for Christians who were prospering or did have the essentials for maintaining a proper human existence to share their prosperity and abundance with those in the royal family of God who were destitute or poverty stricken. Now look at Romans 16 1. I want to show you one more thing and we'll close. And we'll pick this up on Sunday. Look at Romans 16 1. I commend to you or introduce to you Phoebe our sister who is a servant of the church which is at Sancria that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. And then he says the reason why they to do this. For she herself has been a helper of many. She herself has been a helper of many, and then he says, of myself as well. What a great Christian woman she was. She helped people. For she herself has been the helper of many, and myself as well. That presents the reason why Paul requests that the Roman believers place themselves at the disposal of Phoebe in order to provide for her with anything at all that she needs. It makes the assertion that Phoebe in the past has proven to be of great assistance for many Christians, including Paul. So he's saying, reciprocate. She's done a lot for people, and she should be treated with great affection, hospitality, because she's done it for other people. See, let me tell you something. What you do comes back. It comes back to you. If you show love and compassion and graciousness and hospitality to someone in need, Someday you're going to be in need. And you know what? God will provide for you there. But if you're cool, cold-hearted, and close your heart to somebody in need, you're going to learn the lesson not to do that. God will have that happen to you. He'll bring it right back on you. So he's, so that, so what he's saying here is that she's been this way. She's helped people. She's given her life for people. She's helped me. She's been assistance to me and other Christians Phoebe has. So now I want you to treat her like the way she treats other people. Do exactly to her what she's been doing to people for years. We don't even actually know how many years she was like this. How many times, how many years she served in the church? Who knows? But we do know that Paul held her in high esteem. This is one of the great women in Scripture. We don't know a lot about her, but what we do have, we don't know all the intimate details. But what we can see, we can get a little character sketch of this woman. She was selfless. She was a uh, she was uh, someone who was uh, all about other people. And that's what Jesus was just like. She had Christ-like character. What a great great woman, a Christian woman, to emulate Phoebe. And there are others we'll see, and there's going to be a Christian couple we're going to see on Sunday that were quite quite fast, uh, great uh, great characters as well, great, great Christian characters as well. We'll see that on Sunday, 9 a.m. 
I hope to see you guys here Sunday, and uh, we'll have a, a great service planned for you. And uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everyone that's here this evening, and those on the internet, and those who will be viewing this class at a later date. We pray, Father, that they would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment, that they would carefully consider everything that was spoken here by the Spirit this evening in the Word of God, so that we can make proper application and bring glory to you and reflect the character of Christ in our lives, just like your servant Phoebe did. And we thank you for this little character sketch of her in the book of Romans, and we pray that it would be a great blessing to both men and women in the body of Christ. And Father, we also pray that you would bless the fellowship uh, after service, that it would be empowered by the Spirit and guided and directed by the Spirit, and give us traveling mercies on the way home for those of us here in the home here of the Thompsons. And we thank you, Father, for them for opening again up their homes. And we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.